Good afternoon, LifeSpring family. It's good to be with you again. Uh, you know, pray for me because once again, I'm going to tell you, it's tough to uh, preach to a camera. Uh, but, you know, a lot of prayer goes into putting a sermon together. And then um, we're also going to pray here before we uh, get rolling on the scriptures here that God will help me uh, and bless me with his anointing and that he will empower me to uh, pass on what I call and what I consider to be words of life, words of encouragement. A uh, few announcements to make first before we uh, get into the word, uh, prayer and the word. Um, I, uh, I get asked questions about when we might, um, you know, take aim at getting back together physically. Now, you know, let me preface the answer to that question by saying there's no one that wants to get together more than I do. Um, it, it's so important to me to be able to preach the word of God and look you in the eye while I'm doing it. But I'm not going to do anything in haste. Uh, I'm praying about this along with Eve and along with Mike, and um, we're going to uh, seek God. We are seeking God for his wisdom and for his help and his guidance and direction. So uh, be patient with us a little longer, and uh, we'll get word back soon from uh, Wayland Baptist University about when we can get back in the building and we can talk about a date in the future. But I'm relaxed about this. I'm not, I'm not uh, there's no doubt, fear, or unbelief. Um, in my in my being, I'm convinced of that. God's blessed me with faith in this matter. And also, when we do get back together, some of us, because of a series of underlying conditions and the wisdom of God, won't be able to join us right away. But just remember, it says in Romans, there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, for those that are called according to his purpose. And, um, and uh, many of even those people will be able to join us as time goes on. Uh, idealistically speaking, I'd love to have, you know, everybody back on the first Sunday that we get together, but that's unrealistic. Um, we're praying about our series of messages on the altar, and we're going to be faithful to God, and he's going to help us, and, and he's going to give us wisdom, and we're going to know what to do. You know, Nathan and I were talking this morning about, um, about roller coasters, and um, he was... Uh, reminded me of a sermon he heard when he was younger at uh, his grandmother, uh, Grandmother Moore's church. And I was telling Nathan, as he was relating the story to me, I was telling Nathan how well I knew that pastor that he had heard. And um, Cecil Wiggins was his name, Pastor Cecil Wiggins, pastored a very large church. And he was preaching on a Wednesday night and uh, a sermon on Consider the Lilies. And uh, I said, well, I said, don't talk too much about it. I said, because when I hear the phrase, consider the lilies, a whole sermon just rises up on the inside of me. And I said, one of the points of when I preach that one day, consider the lilies, it's going to be that lilies don't ride roller coasters. <laughs> and um, I, I hope you see the humor in that statement because uh, lilies are lilies. They're, they're beautiful and, and they're out there, but they don't worry. They don't toil. They don't fret. Uh, they don't ride roller coasters. I don't like roller coasters. I remember uh, when I was a child and uh, the few roller coasters I've ever been on in my life. And when I was a kid, I'm 63, so when I was a kid, they don't even have, they didn't even have things like corkscrew roller coasters like they do now. I, and, and, and if you think for one minute that I'm ever going to ride one of those today, not happening. I'm not a roller coaster fan. But I remember getting on a roller coaster as a kid and it start out slow, and you hear that click, 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 and then the world, the bottom drops out on you. Why in the world do people wait in lines for that? I don't get it. 
um, I like having my feet on the ground and trusting God, and I don't, uh, I don't play around with roller coaster rides. Um, I just don't like the feeling of falling. And so anyway, I don't know how I got off on all of that. But um, don't forget that Monday through Thursday, we're together at 8 a.m. in the morning for a sip of coffee, um, scripture we share, and a time in prayer. Uh, Monday nights at 6, Alaska Standard Time, we are doing the book of Galatians. And um, very, very excited about that. We, we have um, 10 to 15, um, sometimes up to 20 people that gather with us on the live stuff that we do. And then many, many, many more people watch it later on on the website and on Facebook. And that's very humbling. And uh, just pray for us that God will continue to give us, you know, the word for the day. Notes from the pastor's desk needs to be effective, needs to touch people's lives, and, and uh, just needs to be helpful in Jesus' name. We're starting a, a series today called the Esther Series. And um, message one is called God's Unseen Hand. And we're going to start out by um, prayer, of course. But after that, we're going to read the first two chapters of Esther together. And we're going to see things that pertain to us today. And some of the things don't pertain to us today. But we're going to look at the story of Esther without leaving any of the facts out. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we want to thank you once again for your word. We want to thank you, Father, for your message in the book of Esther, leading up to Mother's Day. Uh, Father, I thank you for your unseen hand. Thank you for the work you're doing in this world, even through this crisis. We thank you that your purposes will be fulfilled. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. The Esther series, message one, God's unseen hand. Esther chapter one, verse one. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Azahiris, Azahiris, who reigned from India to Ethiopia, Ethiopia, over 127 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants, the army of Persia and Media, and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory, and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on the mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion, for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahaman, Bistha, Harbona, Bektha, Abagtha, Sethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty 
for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command and delivered by, delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure, towards all who were versed in law and judgment. The men next to him being Karshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Merez, Marcina, and, Ma and Mamakin, the seven princes of Persia and Media who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of the king, Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? Then Mamakin said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day the noble women of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's behavior, will say the same to all of the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be repealed that Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all this kingdom, for it is vast... All women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Mamakin proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. Esther chapter 2, verse 1. After these things... When the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be brought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of all his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa the citadel under custody of Hegei, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them. And let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, son of Shemel, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconai, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict was proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel in custody of Hegei, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put it in the custody of Hegei, who had charge of the women. Verse 9, And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food. And with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. 
Esther had not made known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went in to the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. And when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what he gave. The king's eunuch, had charge of the who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Verse sixteen, and when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. When the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants, it was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people, as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. I've got a goal for this message, and that is to help people understand the invisible hand of God's wisdom at work in all of their circumstances. Given when they, or even when they cannot detect his presence, even when you can't see his hand, to bring about his sovereign and perfect plan in their lives. Esther is kind of a unique book in all the Bible because it's the only book in the scripture that does not mention the name of God directly. That's because Esther is a book God wanted us to use to show how his providence, his invisible hand, works behind the scenes to bring about his purpose in our lives. So even though God is not on the front page of Esther, his fingerprints are all through the book. So even though we don't see the hand of God, it's there. This book wants us to know that God is in control, but that his methods vary. As a way of an introduction, I want to share uh, an old story with you. One day, a very lonely frog went to a fortune teller to see what his fortune would be. The fortune teller told the frog, don't worry, uh, because soon you're going to meet a girl who will want to know everything about you. 
The frog was understandably excited, and so he asked the fortune teller, when will I meet this girl? Oh, you're going to meet her next semester in biology class. <laughs> and I think that's kind of funny. Sometimes things look good one minute, and then the next minute it seems like they go south real fast. Sometimes, uh, if the truth be told, dreams take place in one moment, and it seems like that disaster seems to come in the next moment. Uh, the biblical book of Esther looks like that. It actually is one of the first Cinderella stories, I think, that's ever written in this world. And much like Cinderella, before Esther becomes the belle of the ball, things become very dark and seemingly hopeless for her and her people. This plot alone makes Esther unique in the scripture. Esther is also unique among the 66 books of the Bible because it's the only one in God's word that does not contain the name of God. God's presence, though, is on every page of the book, but his name is nowhere to be found, which raises the question of why God would include in his word a book that never mentions his name. I think the reason why is that God wanted us to use this story to teach us something about himself that's critical for the time of our lives that we're in right now which is this. There are many times in our lives when God seems to be uh, nowhere to be found. Now, I don't find that to be necessarily a problem in the lives of Life Spring, the lives of the people of Life Spring Bible Church. Quite contrary, quite the contrary. I believe that we in the family of Life Spring Bible Church are being discipled by the Word. We see the hand of God all around us. But here's a direct reference to this type of uh, work of God in our lives right from the Bible. There are many times in our circumstances when we look for God, but it appears that he can't be located. There are many times when it seems that God's letting things happen to us that he wouldn't allow if he loved us or if he cared about us. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've heard people say, I don't believe in God because if there was a God and he loved people, he wouldn't let the things happen that happen. And it doesn't seem to be present when painful circumstances are happening to us. But there is a term for God's invisibility. It's a theological term. Uh, there's a term for God's invisibility uh, when, we can, when it seems like he can't be located. It's referred to in biblical theology as the doctrine of his providence, God's sovereignty. Esther is probably the classic example of God's unseen hand at work as he providently rules and overrules uh, when the circumstances seem to be taking shape that result in the destruction of his people, the Jews. In fact, Esther is so permeated with God's providence that without knowing the reason it was included in the canon of the scriptures, the book makes no sense at times other than being a great story because the name, no name of God is mentioned in the book. But Esther was put in the Bible to teach you and me something about God that all of us face at one time or another, which is that he is present, he is at work, even when our circumstances are falling apart and God seems to be difficult to find. But when you understand the truth that God is providentially at work always, you're able to move through life even when it's quite spiritually quiet spiritually in your life because you know even though you can't see or feel or hear God, you know he's in control. The providence of God is the subject of another doctrine, his sovereignty, which refers to God's absolute power and rule over all of his creation. So we must get our theology straight 
first before we can appreciate the message of Esther with five important points. Point number one, God wants us to know that he is firmly and sovereignly in control of all of our circumstances. Sovereignty, sovereignty is one of God's attributes. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, I'm going to give you a moment to turn there. Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So nothing that happens to us escapes God's careful attention because he's shaping our lives to bring himself glory. Again, Romans eleven thirty six, 36. For, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Point number two. Providence is God at work behind the scenes to control situations. God's providence is the miraculous and often mysterious way he intersects and interconnects people and events to bring about his sovereign will and purposes. What he wants to happen. The scriptures abound with the truth of God's providence, even though the word is not used. I just want to read to you uh, several passages of scripture here, four. So get ready. Turn to the Psalm. Psalm 33. Turn to Psalm 33. In Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11, reads like this. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. In verse 11, it says the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart for all generations. Turn to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Move forward to Proverbs 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Isaiah 45 and 15. Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. God grants human beings freedom, but he will not allow that freedom to thwart his sovereignty. It doesn't take prerequisite over the sovereignty of God. And, and, and for that reason, providence sometimes is very mysterious. Point number three. God arranges circumstances and people to accomplish his sovereign will. When things happen, God overrules even the evil that people do to accomplish his goal. When you begin to understand God's sovereignty and, his and providential ways of achieving his will, you can be conscious of God's fingerprints even when he seems to be absent. Because of this, we can trust God even when he cannot trace his hand, when we can't trace his hand at work in our lives. I can tell you that personally, there were times when I thought certain jobs should be my job. I applied. I put in my resume. I had a great interview. I, I had all of the details. And there were even people in my life that would congratulate me for getting a job that I hadn't even been hired yet and then find out I wasn't getting that job. It was because God did not want me to have that job. And I think every one of us can come up with experiences like that in our life where the hand of God was providentially and sovereignly guiding us and even protecting us and at times from things that we thought we wanted. Point number four. When we can't see God in our circumstances, we need to remember that there is far more happening than we can imagine. 
God recorded the story of Esther so that you can apply its truths to your circumstances as you grow to understand and appreciate God's will and respond correctly to it. Look at God's providence at work in Esther. Now listen to these things. You know, and I didn't hold back. I, I, wrote, I wrote these things down as I saw them through my eyes today. All right, listen carefully. Look at God's providence at work in Esther. There was a family conflict. There was a cultural battle between the sexes, wasn't there? Can you imagine that Vashti would get in trouble today because her husband told her, come out here, I want to show you off because you're beautiful. And she said, no, I don't want to. You think Vashti would have been punished today the way she was punished back then? It was cultural differences. So when you look at the providence at work in Esther, you have a family conflict, you have a cultural battle between the sexes, a law in a secular culture that can't be changed once the king made a law, it could not be rescinded. And a beauty contest, wow, you were about to pick a new queen over a beauty contest. And none of these, which has anything to do with God's will being of greater purpose, none of those things. He's in control behind the scenes to work all things according to the counsel of his will. Because it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Point number five. God can even orchestrate a completely separate subplot behind the main scenes of the story. Esther relays the plot to the king in Mordecai's name. There are people you, to the king, she told the king, Ahasuerus, there are people who want to take your life. And she shared the information with the king that Mordecai gave her. And after they investigated, Ahasuerus is going to be grateful to Mordecai the Jew because he saved his life. And we're going to talk more next week about how that affected Mordecai's life. But the conclusion of this story is this. The story of the book of Esther is put together in much the same way a cake is baked. The baker takes butter, eggs, maybe nutmeg, some flour and some sugar and ingredients that by themselves are not very enjoyable. You don't put a tablespoon of flour in your mouth. You don't put a, a tablespoon of nutmeg in your mouth. Even a tablespoon of sugar can be overpowering to an extent. Ingredients that by themselves are not very enjoyable. You don't put a, a tablespoon of flour in your mouth. But when the baker blends these ingredients together, pours the mix into a cake pan and puts the fire uh, of an oven underneath it. it turns out to be beautiful, uh, delightful, wonderful, delicious. That's because what's produced is bigger and better than the individual individual ingredients that made it up. So I've got uh, four takeaways here. What what this means for your life is that God is in in His providence can take a the nutmeg of your situation, B, the butter of your circumstances, C, the flour of your failure, D, the sugar of your successes. When he mixes them together in a sovereign blender, he comes up with a cake that's beautiful and tastes wonderful because his sovereignty is achieved through his providence. There are many times in our lives when God seems nowhere to be found. There are many times when we look for God, but he seems not to be able to be located. There are times when it seems like God is letting things happen to you 
and me that he wouldn't allow if he loves us or cares about us. But there's a term of God's invisibility when, we can, when he cannot be located. And this term is his providence, his unseen hand at work. That's where we find him. When you know the truth of God's sovereign control, how he providentially works in history, you'll be able to move through life successfully even when it appears quiet spiritually. That's because you know even though you don't see or feel or hear from God, you know he's pulling the strings behind the scenes or he's in control behind the scenes. Once you know about the providence of God, you need to now say, God is in the details. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you once again for all the good that you're bringing about in this world. We know that many things are going on. We're still hearing people talk about prayer and Jesus on television that we, in, in the years leading up to what we're facing now, we would have never heard these people mention Jesus publicly on television. We'd have never heard them mention prayer and, and, and talking about leaning into Jesus Christ publicly on that, on that means of communication on television the way we're hearing it. We know that your hand is in this situation. We thank you in Jesus' name for bringing about your purposes and then killing this virus. Father, as your people, may we yield to the call that you've given us on our lives to be people of prayer, to turn from our wicked ways and to lean upon you for the healing in our land because you hear those prayers. Father, we thank you for setting some guidelines for us and moving us forward on when we can be together again because as a shepherd, I'd love to see the sheep. But Father, I don't want to get ahead of you. I thank you, Lord, for leading, guiding, and directing us and, and, and giving us your wisdom. Father, be with the people of Life Spring Bible Church and all of the eyes and the ears that are lay upon this ministry father help us and continue to give us the words that would give us life father in christ's name we pray amen and amen god bless you be blessed and i'll see you in the morning hopefully on the um, live morning broadcast today at a.m god bless bye